Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Real people, real stories, real hope. My name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me as always, my co-host in life, my beautiful wife, her name is... Just Jen. And you're along with us as we keep this uh, hope train a-moving on down the tracks. Choo-choo! Yeah, that's my favorite part. (laughs) Favorite part ever, Jennifer. How you doing today? Why'd you call me Jennifer? Because sometimes you're in trouble. I'm just Jen. When you're in trouble, I call you Jennifer. Maybe that's why I'm just Jen, because I don't like Jennifer. <laughs> well, definitely don't call you Jenny. Either. No. That's a no-no. Not Jenny from the block. No, you are not. You're Jenny from Forest Hill. <laughs> no. No? I'm not Jenny at all. I know. I'm that just is, Jen. That's That feels so like uncomfortable for me to even say. Yeah. It's not who I am. So how you doing who you are? <laughs> whoever i am yeah exactly. i'm doing great life is good yeah there's a whole bunch of stars in the sky really yeah clear skies clear blue skies. sunshine yep can you see stars through the blue skies no <laughs> but you can see a sunshine yes you can mm-hmm. well i'm i'm just happy that um uh, you know we're here good news mm-hmm. you know i was just thinking about what we were talking about before my mom's in town, so she's visiting, and she's actually listening to us right now. She's in the exact same room. She's all the way from Utah, Wyoming. by way of Wyoming, <laughs> by way of Hetton Valley, by way of, I don't know, like it's, she's, she's got a lot of by way of, but. Uh, she's one of those, one of those uh, people, part of the Wailaki tribe. Why are you bringing up Wailakis? <laughs> I don't know. That's my that's my heritage. The Wailaki tribe. I'm, I'm Indian and I'm Wailaki. The Wacky tribe. You just want me to be like like Comanche or, you know, like something cool. Um, like a name that people would recognize. What it, what would that be? I don't know. I'm just Sioux or Comanche or, you Ch- know. Chickawa. Chickapa? <laughs> now you're thinking about a country song. Now you're now you're talking about Chippewa Nation or something, some country song that you got going on. I don't I don't know what Cherokee. you got. Cherokee. Cherokee. See? That's what you want me to be. Yeah. You want me to be a Cherokee Indian. I guess. Well, I'm Wailaki. <laughs> you are a Wailaki. <laughs> it's more fitting. I am a wacky Wailaki. You are. Would you agree? I agree. See, there you go. You're just wacky. Jennifer. <laughs> you can't be And saying. sometimes tacky. Jennifer, <laughs> you don't be telling my secrets now. What's going on? But you don't take the cracky. Jennifer. <laughs> I am going to just rhyme all day. Are you going to are you going to bust a rhyme here? Are I you am, gonna, are you going to I be am bust a, a rhyme? Really? Yeah. Are you going to be a joke teller today? I'm going to be a joke teller. Well, speaking of which, I think it's now time to tell jokes. Well, I mean, if, we, if what we were talking about wasn't funny enough. Yeah. But it's joke time. It's joke time. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. All right. You, you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Go ahead. So I have a step ladder because my real ladder left when I was a kid. <laughs> you didn't like that one? I'm thinking. I have a step ladder. Oh, uh, like a stepchild? Yes. Okay. I have a step ladder because my real ladder left when I was a kid. Okay. Is it funny now? <laughs> it's funny now. Now we can laugh? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Your That's turn. Funny. Okay. What kind of apple isn't an apple? A pear. A pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love pineapple. What do you like about pineapple? They're like they're sour. Pokey. No, inside. I don't like the outside. Well, and they're big. And do you know you could like scoop it out and like serve like a rice dish in it? And they're just pretty. Why have you not done this yet? Because I just eat the pineapple and I'm over it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, honestly, I don't think I can cut a pineapple so perfect like that. You don't think you could hollow it out and make it a rice dish? No, I guess you would cut it in half and like scoop it like a pumpkin. I don't know. I don't know either. I like pineapple too. I just want to eat the pineapple. I don't want to put that much effort into it. Jennifer. I know. Sometimes food takes work. Not the food I eat. <laughs> <laughs> I would beg to differ because usually yeah. you task me with the work part. Sean, yeah. I need more chicken. I need you to grill more chicken on the Traeger. Hey, I've been doing my own chicken. I've been doing really good too. The good last job. two times I've cooked my own chicken. Wow. I didn't even notice. Madden actually helped. <laughs> <laughs> Our budding chef, our budding 13-year-old yeah. chef. Yeah. All right, Jennifer, you ready for an interview? I'm ready. All right, so I've got a fascinating interview lined up. We're going to talk with Rebecca Hampton, mm -hmm. and this is the first time we've ever touched on this subject, but I think it's going to be an incredible subject to delve into, and okay. it's, a, it's about organ donation. Oh. She actually, in the midst of COVID, mm -hmm. was able to donate her kidney. Cra crazy story. I'll, I'll let her unpack right. it, but- it didn't go the way that she expected it to go, and in reality, it ended up even better, and so pretty incredible story. So I want to call her, get her on the line, and get talking about organ donation. Yeah, let's do it. You ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. All right, I've got Rebecca Hampton on the line. Rebecca, welcome to Hope Radio Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me today. Oh, it's sincerely our pleasure to have you. I, I love talking about the subject of hope, and I love talking to... Uh, Great, awesome, hope-filled people like yourself. So it's certainly our pleasure. So for our benefit of our audience, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, where do you live? Where do you call home? I live in central Ohio, um, a little town called Newark. It's about 30 miles east of Columbus. Newark, 30 miles east. So when you say small town, give us some context. How big is a small town? Uh, it's about 50,000 people. Okay, so I think that's probably, I don't know if that's, we live in Northern California, live in the gold country, Auburn, so I don't know if Auburn has a lot more people than that or not. But yeah, I'd say 50,000 people isn't a, isn't a robust city, but uh, how long have you lived out there? I've lived out here since 1993. Okay, so not born and raised there, but uh, moved there. Nope. Yeah, I was born and raised um, up in the Toledo, Ohio area. So an uh, Ohioan, Ohioan all yeah. your life. <laughs> all my life. Yes. Go Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as a Californian for most of my life, you know, I think I think about those uh, Midwest states and I think about, you know, this season, you know, the political season. We won't get into politics, but just this frenzy that happens in some of these states when there's an election year. And so I, I don't envy all of the calls you've undoubtedly gotten and all of the <laughs> yeah. mail and all of the stuff coming your way in this type of season. Out here in California, we don't get any of that stuff. So like, it's like very, very, barely yeah. anybody visits. Nobody, nobody comes to us. You know, we don't get those calls. <laughs> yeah, everyone wants our vote. So yeah. Yeah, there you go. Well, it's I know crazy. you have a um, incredible story of hope, and I was really interested to talk to you about it because it revolves around organ donation, and I've not talked to anybody ever about the subject of organ donation. I am on my driver's license an organ donor. I would love nothing more than if something happened to me to be able to 
you know, change the life of, of somebody else. And I, I feel like that's a selfless gift. So why don't you walk us through uh, this particular stage of your life? And from what I understand, it was even during COVID. So I know that this is going to be an incredibly interesting story. So I'll let you kick it off. Okay, well, it started about a year ago. Um, I saw a Facebook post of, I will just say, not necessarily a friend, but an acquaintance. We work in the same industry. I see her once a year at the convention. So I just happened to see her Facebook post where she was pleading for someone to donate a kidney to her husband who had diabetes and was in kidney failure, having to do dialysis all the time. So I saw the post and it touched me and I'm like, okay, I'll reshare it, you know, and see if anybody out there, you know, wants to get tested for, for this this person. Um, then it just, you know, you get that tugging on your heart and yeah, and, I do. I know, you know what you're talking about there. And, and yeah. anybody that's faith filled yeah. listening knows what you're talking about. That, that stirring mm-hmm. where you can't let it go and it just keeps festering. Yep. That's it. So it's like, you know, okay, you shared it. What about you? You know, put your money where your mouth is. So I'm like, okay, well, I just gave myself the thought of, you know, there's no chance that I would be a match for, for this gentleman. So yeah, I'll go ahead and get tested. So I worked in healthcare. I had one of the nurses that I work with draw my blood and send it to Cleveland Clinic. I told no one of this crazy, crazy thought that I had. So it got sent in. And then along came the convention where I see this person. And how long between uh, when your when your blood work and stuff was sent in and the convention? It was a couple of weeks. Phyllis is the wife of the person who needed the kidney, whose name is Mike. Um, Phyllis and I, throughout this whole process, talk about patience and how we have been taught patience throughout everything. So, you know, we were waiting for results and waiting for results. She knew I was getting tested because I had to send in the information about her husband, you know, to know that, you know, that's who they were going to see if I was a match for. So it turned out that at the convention, she and I had our tables across from each other. That's when I got the call that I'm a match. So I kind of hit panic mode at that point. Like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) Didn't think this, I would be a match. Didn't it, think I'd be in this situation. Yeah, it feels so much more safe when you go. Okay, well, at least I tried. I'm not a match, right. you know. But then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you get back the the results, and uh oh, uh, now the rubber really meets the road. I'm a match. Now, what am I going to do? Exactly. And it was a couple months of me thinking: Do I really want to do this? You know, I didn't really want to to talk to a lot of people about it because I didn't want anybody to know. And just, you know, internal struggles. And then I was just like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I mean, it's just, how often do you get a chance to save someone's life, you know? I was just going to ask, had you ever been touched by donation before? Had anybody in your family ever received a donation? You know, had you had you ex- any experience at all in that prior to this? It's funny that you say that because, you know, I had not in my family. But going through this, I am started to think back to a day when I was a kid and one of our neighbors came over and I just, the the memory pops in my head of standing in my mom and dad's garage and she said that she had one kidney because she donated it. And, you know, I had not even thought of this family in 30, 40 years. And, you know, it just popped into my head. Oh my gosh, Mrs. Lilick had donated, you know? So it's kind of funny how that memory came back to me after all that time. Yeah, it is. I think that's God stirring within you to, you know, recollect and revive something, something that gave you some peace maybe or some encouragement that that you could do it Mm -hmm. yourself, you know? Yeah, she she led a completely normal life. You know, you would never, ever know. Yeah, so that memory came back. And 
So then you know, I just made the decision, let's go for it. And I talked to the coordinator and you know, they did all the screening on the phone. And then you have to, we did it at Cleveland Clinic. So I had to go up to Cleveland Clinic for two full days of intense testing. And that was done in January. So one question that I had uh, for you, Rebecca, is, you know, is there a difference between, you know, being a living donor versus donors that are deceased? You know, for example, with me, I'm a donor on my driver's license card. You know, I think about it from the perspective that if something happened to me, if anything ever happened to me, I would like my organs to go to somebody else and, and benefit them. But is there a difference in, in viability, vitality, et cetera, between the two? Yeah, actually, I learned that as part of the process. I didn't know it ahead of time. But the kidneys from a living donor last longer than kidneys from a deceased donor. And also, they're screened a lot more. Um, I was talking to the daughter, Mike's daughter, and she was telling me that was some of their fear was when you get a kidney from someone who's deceased, you don't necessarily know their whole health history. So there is a chance that you know there could be something wrong with those kidneys and they just simply don't last because they've been through trauma. So the ultimate gift, you know, and hope for somebody is to get a living kidney. Yeah, I, had, I guess I never thought about that before. I, I, I guess when you you do think about it, you don't have the ability just because of the time sensitivity. I imagine that you, you got to mm-hmm. you got to get those kidneys into the recipient as quickly as possible in a short period of time after after somebody's passed away. And so, if you don't right. have the ability to do all of that health screening, like what what are you getting? I've actually never given thought to that. So that that could be a real challenge for those that uh, are, are on the receiving end. Right, right. And that was something that I didn't know. And, you know, she shared that that was a real concern of, of her dad. Okay. Yeah, I could, I could see that. And then relative to the rest of your, of your family, I guess your parents, you were able to stay with them, but your brother-in-law had uh, helped you out as well, right? Actually, it was my brother. So being up in Cleveland by myself without anyone there, you know, I'd driven from my home in central Ohio up to the Cleveland clinic for the surgery. And then I needed a way to get to my mom and dad's house afterwards. And so my brother and his girlfriend drove over from Toledo and were able to you know, pick me and my car up and take me back to my mom and dad's house afterwards. So that was a huge blessing, you know, just the logistics of getting where you need to be was, was very difficult in, in this COVID era. What did, what did your brother think about your gift? Oh, he thought it was really neat. Um, he's also pretty proud of me too. So Aww. his support was was wonderful throughout all of it. You know, if anything that I needed, I knew I could call on him. I can imagine. So for in my layman's perspective, you've got two kidneys. You can donate one and live a perfectly healthy life moving forward. What what was really that struggle for you? Was it the thought, well, now I'm only going to be reliant upon one or what happens if something happens in the surgery? Walk us through some of the, the, the struggle points that you were going through as you were trying to make this decision. Part of it was, you know, how am I going to take the time off of work? Okay. Um, how, you know, how long is it going to take me to recover? You know, financially, what's going to happen? And, you know, just thinking through all of this and then just coming to the realization that, you know, if God calls you, he'll get you through it. So I'm um, just putting my faith, you know, in, in this process. And so, yeah, just decided let's hop on this bus and go for it. See how it turns out. Wow. You know, I, I can't imagine that was an easy decision, but I think that once you decided to move forward with it, you must have had some sort of peace or comfort that you were heading down the right track. I mean, to know that you're actively saving somebody else's life with your 
act, I think, has a lot of power. It has a lot of, of draw to it. Yeah, it was, it's, this whole entire experiment, experience has been incredible. I mean, there's nothing like it that I've ever experienced. And I'm on a couple of Facebook pages where, you know, there's other living donors. And that's kind of the one theme that so many of us say is, you know, the only regret, regret about it is that you can only do it once. Yeah, I could, so, I could, I could see that. That's great that you're part of those groups. Yeah. So you, you decide to move forward with it. And so what, what is the next step in the process? Well, the next step was going through all the health screens. So it was two intense days at Cleveland Clinic and they do everything, you know, GFIs, GFRs. I don't even know all the testing that was done, MRI, CT scans. I'm just making sure that as a donor, I am healthy enough to survive on one kidney. And they really have the donor's best interest at heart. And they make sure above and beyond that you're in the best shape possible. And there will not be any complications and they can survive. And their numbers really show it. I mean, they go over with you the survival rates, the success rates um, of all those surgeries. And there really is such a small risk to a donor simply because they do so much screening ahead of time. So what was really neat is as I was going from appointment to appointment to appointment and everything was so efficient, there was another woman that I kept seeing at all the same appointments. So I struck up a conversation with her. Turns out that she was there for the same thing. She was going to be donating to a friend. We started talking and she only lives in like the next town north of me. And so it was really neat. We've become friends. We were friends on Facebook um, and she recently had her surgery and donated too. So, you know, just making that contact um, has been really a neat thing. Oh, that's that's so cool. Now, were were you in communication and or uh, meeting the recipient? I mean, so how how do they do this? Do they do all the tests first before you get really involved in you, you know? Do you ever meet the recipient? I mean, how does that work? Well, mine was a directed donation. There are non-directed donations as well, where someone can just you know say, "Hey, I want to give my kidney to whoever needs it." And you can do that anonymously. But mine was a directed one because I had already known Phyllis and I had not met her husband, Mike, yet. So I was in contact with Phyllis and, you know, I had my my two days. And then after my testing, then I have to go before a committee and they have to decide whether I am healthy enough to go through the surgery. So that was another wait that Phyllis and I are not good with. And we knew that the committee (laughs) would meet on Friday. And sure enough, I got my call, I guess, Friday at like 4.50 saying that, yes, I did pass all the tests to be a donor. So they, they made us wait and wait and wait. And the whole day, you know, Phyllis and I are sending each other texts. Have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? So we continued to wait. Um, so we finally got that call and it was it was great. So then we could move forward with scheduling surgery. Yeah, I imagine that she was eager and anxious herself to find those results because time is not on Mike's side. You know, it's not one of those things like, right. so if, you, if, you, if you're going to do it and it's an option, sooner rather than later. Right. He was already on dialysis, which I don't know, um, for anybody who doesn't know what dialysis is like, you know, he would go on Monday come home and sleep, be completely out of energy, not able to do anything. Tuesday, he would recover. And then Wednesday, he'd have to go back for the next dialysis. Thursday, you know, was completely recovery day. Friday, back to dialysis. Saturday, recovery day. So he had Sunday, the only day of the week that he felt good. And then he would overdo it because, you know, he only had one day a week, you know, really to have any quality of life. So, and then in the meantime, his port kept closing off. 
So we had to keep having, you know, surgeries to reopen that port to keep up the dialysis. And that was kind of the ticking time bomb, you know, how long would this port stay open where he could get the dialysis? Wow. So, you know, just a, just a, not a very high quality of life in that type of dialysis situation. Like you're just going from every other day to just trying to feel better. Having one day a week where you can actually feel like you can do something doesn't sound fun at all. Right, right. It was just, you know, not that, that quality of life. And I know he was struggling with, you know, depression and, you know, just the men- mental anguish of going through that and living a life like that. So having someone and knowing that the surgery was coming really did give, give him a lot of hope. Yeah, I could well. see that. So for how long between the time that you decided to do the initial blood work to where now you've gone through this committee and panel and they said, yep, you're an acceptable donor? I went through the blood work. I'm probably thinking the end of September, beginning of October. It was mid-October when we got the call that said, yes, you are a match. And then the testing took place the beginning part of February. Okay. So I'm sorry, the beginning part of January. So three, three, four months between, you know, the time that you had originally gotten the blood work done and when you're now accepted by the committee as a potential donor for him. Mm-hmm, correct. Okay. So what happens next? So then we have the surgery scheduled for March. Um, I believe it was March 20th. So two weeks prior, both Mike and I had to go up to Cleveland Clinic to do our pre-op testing. Um, I'd already met Mike. We had a, a little get together and we recorded the, the meeting. It was kind of neat. We put it on the Facebook page. I really, if it was up to me, I really didn't want to be known as the donor. I would have liked to keep it secret, but Mike and Phyllis had a lot of medical expenses and we needed to do a lot of fundraising. So, um, I decided to go public with, you know, me being the donor so that we could enhance those fundraising efforts. So we started doing that, had a GoFundMe page, um, started planning some fundraisers, family, friends, so many donations came in. It was just amazing, the love and support that we got from the community. So we went up to Cleveland Clinic, did the pre-op testing. Everything was good to go. And then a week later, we got the call from the clinic saying that all surgeries were put on hold due to COVID. Oh, my gosh. How disheartening was that? And again, Phyllis and I are like, well, here we go with another lesson in patience. How did you, how did uh, you weather that? And, and how did Phyllis weather it? I mean, like right at the point where you feel like, okay, there, this is going to happen. I mean, we, you're within two weeks and then mm-hmm. a pandemic shuts everything down. Right. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Um, you know, I, I, there's really nothing you can do except for sit back and wait. And I you know, stayed in touch with my team. I let them know you know, Mike's got this, let us know as soon as surgeries are back on, we're ready to go. Um, you know, we want to be the first ones back in when you can do them again. Phyllis had um, reached out to her team. They didn't call back. I reached out to my team. One thing that I have is a patient advocate and they just wanted to make sure, you know, you're not being pressured. You're not being pressured. They continue to say you're wanting to do this out of your own free will. And I you know, had to keep letting them know, yes, I really do want to do this. Um, you know, I'm not being pressured, but we really want to get this surgery as soon as possible. So, you know, we just sat back and had to wait and had to, you know, hope and pray that Mike's port stayed open. So you're sitting back here and does February tick into April and then tick into May? Like, so walk us through kind of the, the, the waiting timeline. 
Right. So then I don't even remember when I call, got the call. I want to say it was maybe the end of April, beginning of May. Um, we got the call that, you know, surgeries are back on. And in the meantime, and this is kind of a neat twist, um, when I had met with my surgeon, he had talked to us a little bit about um, donor chains. I had no idea what a donor chain was or a kidney swap. Um, and that is where if you have uh, someone who needs a kidney and you have someone who wants to donate a kidney and they may not be compatible, but maybe there's another group that, you know, is the same situation, you can swap back and forth. So in the meantime, a family was identified where the mother-in-law needed a kidney, the daughter-in-law was willing to donate, but they weren't compatible. However, the surgeon said I could donate to the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law would be compatible to donate to Mike. So everything took a little twist and we were able to schedule the surgery for May. Uh, Mike went in on May 19th and I went in on the 20th. So how is it that that you're compatible for one recipient but not the other when it comes to blood type? I mean, was it a, was it an enzyme thing? Like what what made the change to where she could donate to Mike yet and you could donate to her mother-in-law and you know, but it wouldn't have worked vice versa? I have um, an O positive blood type. So the O O blood type is going to be universal. It can, you know, I'm compatible with A's, ABs, O's. Um, Mike Same is a type as me. A. All right. We're yeah. O positive buddies. All right. I love it. I love it. So power in the O. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Mike is a type A. So, you know, I could obviously donate to him, but somebody who has an A blood type could also donate to him. So, the way that it worked, yeah, it was just, um, it was great timing for this family. And it was great to know that we could help out another family throughout this. And it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the delay due to COVID. Wow. That's an interesting point. It would not have happened without the delay. Yeah. The delay created the opportunity for actually now two families to be benefited by the gift. That is incredible. Yeah, yeah it really is. That was that was one thing that we never saw coming, so it was really neat. Now, don't did you, know a whole lot about. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask probably what you were going to answer uh, about the other family, about their situation. You know, did you ever get a chance to meet the ultimate recipient of your kidney? Well, actually, that is exactly what I was going to talk about. Um, <laughs> don't know a lot about them, but have recently gotten their contact information, and we are planning on getting together with them in about two weeks. Wow, that'll be awesome. So you're going to get together with them in a couple yeah. of weeks, right before Thanksgiving. What what an awesome year mm-hmm. this has been for them. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So um, looking forward to, to that and seeing how, you know, they are doing. So walk us through uh, how you prepared for the surgery. What happened after the surgery? Was there discomfort? How long were you out of work? You know, give, it, give us some of the more, you know, uh, pragmatic um, uh, you know, consequences of, of your gift? Well, my surgery was very similar. I've had two children through C-section. So the way that they were able to do it was I have three laparoscopic places, scars, and then they actually removed the kidney through my C-section scar. So it was very similar to the C-section that I had before. Uh, recovery time, very, very similar. So, um, you know, the first day after surgery is always the toughest. Being in the hospital alone was tough mentally because due to COVID, you can't have any visitors whatsoever. So I, um, you know, was alone for those 
three days in the hospital. And then, um, yeah, I came, came home after three days. I actually recovered at my mom and dad's house. So you know what it's like when you have a mom, they really, really take care of you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait on your hand and foot. Jen and I have four boys, and uh, so yeah, we we she she knows exactly what you're talking about. Any any of those kids at all like have any deficiency in their health, and she's attentive to it. She's she's <laughs> there's soup, there's cookies, there's baking, mm-hmm. there's motherly love coming, you know, all all that stuff, oh, right, yeah. Jen? That's right. Yeah, you you just do it. <laughs> yeah, so actually, I was at my mom and dad's house several weeks. The recovery was great. It was, I mean, the the time that I got to spend with my parents is priceless. They're both. In their 70s, um, both very active, very fit. And that was one thing, you know, that I did to prepare for the surgery was I physically got in the best shape that I could. I made sure that, you know, I was doing abdominal mus- um, abdominal exercises, cardiac exercises, you know, just make sure that my recovery would be easy. And I really think that helped. Um, four days after surgery, I was driving. And um, day five after surgery, I put myself on a stationary bike because I just had to get back active and doing whatever I could. So, um, just curious what kind of a stationary bike you put yourself on. (laughs) I well, luckily planet fitness had just reopened from being closed due to COVID. So that is my favorite workout place. So I was able to get back to planet fitness, kind of my home away from home and rode one of their bikes. Well, you know, Jen, Jen was one of the first people in, I think, our area, one of the first deliveries to to get a Peloton bike like three years ago. And so okay. she she kept encouraging me to ride that thing <laughs> for like three years, no joke. And it, and it took COVID before I ever got on the bike. And then the, once I got on it, I didn't get off of it, which frustrated her. Now, now we have two. And so she's got hers oh and goodness. I've got mine. And I've, I've never, never ever felt the intensity, the sweat, the, the physical exertion that comes off that bike. I mean, I don't know what I was thinking. I, I just thought, you know, I don't, I don't want to ride a bike, I guess is what I was thinking. But <laughs> once I finally got on it, I, and now, now you can't get me off of it. So she, she's like, you get off my bike. I don't want you sweating on my bike. That's my bike. And for three years, it's been my bike. Now you're taking over my bike. I'd tease her and go, no, it's my bike. Now I've, I own it. I'm the last one on it. <laughs> and I was not a bike rider. I mean, it might, which is funny. My mom has a stationary bike and rides it. My dad is on the road. I mean, he's 78 years old and he goes out and rides 30 to 50 miles at a time. Oh, um, it's just incredible. Oh. And I was more, you know, I wanted to be on the elliptical or I wanted to, you know, run on, on the track or, or sometime of that. I was not a biker, but, you know, I needed something that had no impact, um, you know, being that close to my surgery date. And just hopping on a bike was, you know, the easiest thing for me to do. So, yeah. How did how did your mom out. and dad feel about uh, what you did, your gift? You know, like it must have been awesome for them. I mean, I can only put myself if my one of my kids chose to donate and save somebody's life through that donation. I, I would be super proud. Yeah, they are super proud, but you know, they were super worried, as anybody is. You know, when yeah. your child goes in for surgery, um, and it's not just a, a minor surgery. You know, they're losing a body part, so. They were concerned, but my mom knows my personality type, and she knows once I make my mind up about something, there's no stopping me. So um, <laughs> you sound like Jen. You know, she, she's she's got that strong will, <laughs> yeah. stubborn, obstinate, you That's know, right. forward kind of mentality herself. So yeah, yep. I think you two would be simpatico. <laughs> yes, yes. So you know, she just decided, well, I can either fight it and that won't do any good, or I can support it. So you know, both my mom and dad were were huge supporters of everything I went through. 
Here's what I love about what you did. I, th I think forever moving forward now in your life, 2020 is going to be reframed. You know, it's not going to be the year of the pandemic for you. It was the year of the gift for you. It was the year of the donation. It was the year of the, you know, saving somebody's life. And and I, and I love that. I like when people can can take something that is a significant negative that we're all experiencing, reframe it and and repurpose it and, and maybe have a better memory that stands out more than what, you know, the pandemic has done. We, we all know it's happened this year. It'll never not be the year of 2020 that the pandemic hit, but I think that there's other milestones, other things that you can concentrate on or focus on that could be significant additional milestones in your life that help to reframe 2020 as something different than just the year of the pandemic. Right. And it's all about attitude. And, you know, when I hear people say things, it's like, yeah, there's been, you know, a lot of babies born this year too. You know, how great is that for this year and those parents and, you know, people, I, you know, have bought homes, have started new jobs, started new businesses. I mean, there's been a lot of good, positive things that have come out of this year and even come out of this pandemic. I agree with that completely. And just think, think about it this way. Think about the recipients. You know, here's two families mm -hmm. that in 2020 got a life-saving surgery. So this is going to be about that for them. This year is the year that mom and dad, you know, two different families were saved, like their life was saved through this donation. Right. Right. It's, you know, it, you have to concentrate on the positive things. And, and Phyllis and I both learned about patience through this whole <laughs> ordeal. <laughs> How has your faith been strengthened through this? So, you know, it, it sounded like something that God put on your heart, put on your heart, put on your heart. You couldn't escape it. You finally make the decision. So, you know, even the testing, the waiting, the pandemic, you know, what has this done to your faith in general? His hand has been in at this whole thing, um, you know, different things beyond my control. The timing has just been perfect. And you just see that it was God's hand in it. Um, and then probably the biggest thing for me was when I was in the hospital, you know, I had so many friends and coworkers and people from, you know, my life would say, yeah, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. And being alone in that hospital room, I could feel the prayers. And it's probably been the first time in my life when I've ever felt it that intensely. Um, so that was probably the neatest thing and, what, and the biggest thing to strengthen my faith. What a gift. What a gift from God, that that feeling that you can just feel the positive energy. You can feel the focus. You can feel the love coming your way. I I, I can say I've I've been part of prayer groups and, and prayer chains like that. I, I try to send that out, but to be in a situation where you can actually feel it, where it's almost tangible to you, palpable to you is is awesome. Right. I mean, there was just no way to even describe it. It was it was so present. And I just felt such peace about the whole situation and everything that I was going through. Now, uh, any challenges that have come and or resulted from the surgery or the gift, anything that you didn't expect? Not really. Um, you know, my recovery has been very fast. I had a, it's kind of neat. I had a friend that prayed for me beforehand and she just felt that God, you know, was saying I would have a speedy recovery. And, you know, it just, it came to fruition. I really did. No complications. I have, I have done things that I asked my team if I could do. And they said, no, you need to wait till your six month checkup. But being me, <laughs> I have gone horseback riding. I have gone zip lining. I have gone whitewater rafting and been completely fine. So, um, you know, completely back to myself so quickly. Um, it was, you know, the surgery was at the end of May and here it is mid-October and I, I don't feel any different. I'm back to where I was. 
And the and the checkup is a six month checkup. Checkup, and do you have any other checkups after that? Is there a year? I mean, is it is there a point where just they, they stop and then life is just normal again? Yeah. So I have a checkup. You know, you have the six week checkup, which I passed. Um, then you have six months. Then you have a year, and then you have two years. And then and after that, nothing. Then that's nothing at all. Yep. You just have to make sure you let your primary care doctor know as well. They know that you're down to one kidney and the only restriction is they don't want you to take any NSAID medication. So for pain relief, you know, Tylenol is out, Motrin is out, but I still have, I'm sorry, Advil is out, Motrin is out, but I can still take Tylenol. Interesting. That's really, yeah, that's really the only, the only restriction. Jen, Jen wow. just popped up <laughs> having heard that because she, she takes Advil or, or um, ibuprofen. Yeah. So is mm-hmm. that is is that a function of uh, I I know that they say too much of that can damage your liver. So the idea behind that is that you're restricted on what you can take for for pain relief, ibuprofen or Advil because it could damage the the one kidney that you've got. Right. Um, those medications are excreted through the body through the kidneys, where the other one goes through the liver. So um, that's why they want you to only take the Tylenol. Now, if I took an Advil here or there, I mean, it's not going to do any harm, but just make sure that you know, I try to, to stay away from it as po- much as possible. So does this make you at all want to explore other donations? Like I know that you can donate part of your liver, et cetera, and that will grow back. I mean, have you explored that or are you like one and done? Like I, this was my gift. I'm, <laughs> I'm moving on. No, no, no more. Oh, I think my mother would probably kill me if I tried <laughs> to donate again. And I actually, I did talk to my surgeon at um, the Cleveland Clinic about the organ, and he said that it's a different, more difficult surgery because you're taking part of an organ instead of just the entire organ like you do with a kidney. So yeah. he said right now um, the surgery is more open, it's more invasive, but they're working on making it better. Um, so he said, you know, give it a few years and see kind of how technology advances. Interesting. So who knows what the future holds? Yeah. <laughs> I think once you've done it and been through it, I, I think it seems less maybe scary then, and then it maybe opens up your world a bit more. And I'm sure somebody that's listening that needs an organ donation wants as much positive information and encouragement as possible out there. So I guess the question that I would ask is now having been through it, what would you say to somebody that might be in your shoes right now that's contemplating giving it? Like, would you encourage that? You know, what's your mindset uh, having been a donor now yourself? Yeah, definitely would encourage it and encourage them to do as much research. Talk to people. I talked to a couple of people who were donors you know, face-to-face about their experiences. And everyone's experience is different, but so many of the same things, like I had mentioned before, you know, so many people say my only regret is that I can only do it once. It was the most incredible experience. I met so many neat people. I, I would say go for it, you know, if you're healthy enough and able to do it, you know, why not? I mean, how often do you get a chance to save somebody's life? Yeah. How often do you get a chance to save somebody's life? That's that's a great point. Well, as we close out the show, I just want to say thank you so much for you know sharing. Thank you so much for your truth, and thank you for obviously giving hope to actually ended up being two different families. Mm-hmm. I mean that you know through your gift, you know two families were able to be benefited, and I and I just I love that that organ chain is is just awesome. So thank you for sharing and thank you for that message uh certainly of hope for those families and and to our listeners you're welcome i'm glad i could share my story 
All right, Jen, what did you think about our interview with Rebecca Hampton and the whole subject of organ donation, kidneys, all that yeah, kind of stuff? so cool. What a what a gift, you know, to be able to receive that and give that. And I think the gift goes both ways. Yeah, I, you know what was interesting to me is just that prompting that she felt, and you know, mm. and I felt that on several different occasions yeah. myself, but something like you can't escape, you can't get away yeah. from. And she's like, oh, no. Okay, well, I'll get tested and see, you know, in the back of her mind, probably hoping that maybe she wasn't a match right you know right. there's a part that goes yeah right you know because like if you are a match then uh-oh now the rubber's got to meet the road now i got to really decide what i'm going to do but you know i i agree what a selfless gift uh-huh. you know to 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 be able to give somebody life right because you're going to give up a piece of your body yeah you're you know? a donor i know on, on well not a donor on not a not a i haven't donated anything you haven't yet. lost any body parts yet no Jennifer, I'm well, not interested in losing any body parts yet either. Well, I'm not a donor. <laughs> Meaning, so on our driver's license yeah. in California, we specify yeah. that, you know, we're obviously organ donors. Yeah. So for me, if something ever happened to me, I, you know, what a waste. If you, if you have the ability, why not? Like, I don't, it's not like it's going to matter to me. Right. Well, I'm not going to die until I'm 120. So by that time, nobody wants my parts and pieces. You'll, I, you might be cranky. Then you might, you nobody might. wants those parts and pieces. No, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, but I don't do drugs, I don't smoke, and I don't drink alcohol, so they might be still healthy. Wow, you sound like and a square. I work out a lot, so I could have healthy lungs at 120. You could, yeah, could be all those things. That's right. Well, I thought it was interesting too that she said a live donor is is better than a right. than a deceased donor in True. terms of viability, etc. You know, so. Yeah, but, that was interesting. Yeah, just re- really fascinating. So I, I'd strongly encourage if you're if you're somebody that's open to it, research it, look into it. Mm-hmm. I think we need more people doing that kind of thing. Absolutely. You know, I think that uh, if we can give more selflessly mm-hmm. in today's society, especially if you're like O positive, Jennifer. Well, no, I'm saying. Are you trying to pressure me? No, I'm just saying like you can like donate to ev- everyone. Yes. Anyone. I know. I like, could. That's really cool. Well, maybe I should look into it. I'm very limited. I'm, a, I'm an A plus in <laughs> all a, things. A positive. I'm an A plus. Okay. It doesn't say positive. It's a plus. All right. A plus. I got it. <laughs> all right. So how do people hear more of our uh, of our show, Jen? How, they I mean, can tune into wherever they're listening to their podcast. Currently, wherever you're listening. Like there. and subscribe. Yes. Leave us a message. If Give us a review. If you're listening to this, we would really appreciate you to... Uh, for subscribe? You, yeah, to subscribe and like and give us a five-star rating because we're trying to jump the ladder of podcasting. Yes. Yeah. And then if they want to connect with us on social media, how do they do so? We're on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Radio Podcast. Yay! Woo-hoo. Hope. Hope. Hope with a button. All you got to do is push a button and you get hope. That's right. That's awesome. It's so easy. Let's do it again. Okay. Let's have one more show. Okay.